Welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 113, and in this show, we're going on safari. Our special guests are Andy Brown, the team principal of Tuttle Porsche, and co-driver Alex Gelsimino. We talk about the upcoming East African Safari Classic and the crazy cool machinery that Ken Block and Alex will be competing in on the upcoming event. So join us in the jungle, the mighty jungle, for another round at the virtual rally pub we call the Rallycast. Greetings, I'm your host, Mike Sean. Before we chat with our guests, here's some bits of what's in the news since our last episode. So let's see here, we've had uh, already Snowdrift and 100 Acre Wood entries been open, I think, since the last time we talked. And they look extremely healthy, once again, showing that even COVID can't stop the strong demand for people wanting to race in the snow and in the woods. I think the uh, super discounts for the 100 acre wood entries were gobbled in like 15 minutes. So it shows that that's still going very strong. Uh, they've got a wait list again, but thankfully there's a clear policy in place for those that are in wait list. So hopefully there won't be too many hurt feelings for those that don't get able to, to join the rally. An upcoming podcast after this one, uh, we had a long chat with Preston Osborne about all the rules changes, things like that, and the ways that they're looking to expand ARA because of the popular demand right now. Snowdrift specifically has 50 entries, which is really healthy for them. I think they're normally in the upper 30s for most years. I don't know, maybe people just don't like the cold. You'll notice that, of course, Alex and uh, Ken Block aren't uh, on that entry list because they'll be finishing the East African Safari Classic, but still a very healthy entry list from top to bottom. Lots of great regionals, lots of uh, the top guys there too. You'll even get a chance to see, of course, Barry McKenna's, that basically it is the fastest era of rally car ever built, at least for now. That's going to be a delight, I think, for folks to see out there. Although, as we know, the snow means that uh, power isn't everything, right? Also in the news, recent guest Kyle Tilley of Era Motorsports, he ran the Rolex 24. Unfortunately, the uh, caused the uh, first full caution of the 24 hours of Daytona. That, that's kind of a bummer, but the crew got the car back together and out fairly quickly for the type of damage that it had. And they're clawing their way back up in the points in, in the uh, class until 20 minutes before the end of the 24 hours and the transmission went and their event was done. So kind of sucks for them, but on the bright side, they did select their contest winner for the Snowdrift livery and it looks really cool. Make sure you check it out on their Facebook page. It's it's a really cool design. And I'm sure you've all heard, unless you've been under a rock somewhere, that uh, Pastrana had an accident doing some base jumping. But thank goodness, it sounds like he's gonna be okay. We're still waiting for word on how much this might affect his rallying season. But if there's anyone that can bounce back from injuries, it's Travis. Now back to our main event. Let's hear about what to expect from this year's Safari Classic with Andy Brown and Alex Gelsomino, right after these words from our supporters. Go, five right short over crest into second small crest, 40, full left plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rihanna Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, Advanced Rally Training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training, or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email osrallypro at gmail.com for further details. Welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast, and I've got with us our special guests for this episode, Andy Brown from up at Toledo Porsche and Alex Gelsimino. First of all, gentlemen, welcome to the Rallycast, and welcome for the first time, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. 
Hey guys, how are you? So Andy, your first time uh, talking to us on the Rallycast here. And, you know, one thing I like to always talk to our new guests about is how is it you got started in this whole rally business? Well, that was yeah a long time ago when I was about 12 or 13, a neighbor of mine worked for Malcolm Wilson, who you'll know now is the team owner at M Sport Ford. This guy had a rally car and I kind of started hanging around, passing him spanners and one thing led to another. Then I got to go out to Malcolm's. He was running a Mark II Escort at the time, just building his own car. So I started giving him a hand and after school, holidays, just whenever I could get out there, I was just hooked. That was it from then on. And that was you know, pretty much made my mind up then. That was all I wanted to do was rally and pretty much been in, involved since since then. What did your parents think of that career choice? Yeah, they were pretty supportive. I mean, um, you know, I did an apprenticeship nice. and got all the qualifications while still rallying every weekend. And the day that I finished my apprenticeship, um, Malcolm had actually signed for Austin Rover to drive the, the 6R4 Metro. So I got the chance to go and work there, uh, which kind of started me off professionally you know obviously been helping him out and and working on events for four or five years really but Austin Rover was my first full-time job just being paid to do the world championship which was amazing experience and then you know from then on I just carried on through various teams. So eventually make your way over to uh, Tuthill Porsche when did you start there and uh, what's your role there now? Uh, I actually only started there last March so my my role is uh, motorsport team principal pretty much in charge of anything racing or rallying, uh, anything motorsport. So obviously the Safari Rally is a big event for us, but we also do a, a, a lot of racing with the Porsche 2 Liter Cup. In fact, I'm testing tomorrow for cars at a track here in the UK. So um, we've got a real big season ahead with a lot, of, a lot of cars to look after, up to nine cars in that championship. So it's going to be a busy year. You guys do have so many cars that tend to compete when it comes to even just to these classic rallies. And then, like you said, for that Cup Series, how big is that workshop? Yeah, it's big. We've got a you know, fantastic facility uh, that we have, which is we're actually just expanding again on top of the workshop that we have now, building another new workshop just because we've got so much work um, and projects, both in motorsport and with road car projects. We're about 50 people at the moment, but it's growing you know, monthly. There's, there's additions to the team just with all the, the projects that are coming in. Um, so some really exciting stuff going on. That's actually such good news to hear when we hear about so many challenges going on throughout the world and whatnot right now, especially to hear growth and excitement and more interest. That's always a positive. Uh, and kind of to add to that positive, I was following some of the our friends like Martin Brady that compete over here in the States and whatnot uh, with the Roger Albert Clark rally. And you guys took a win there yeah. with uh, Ryan Champion. And then you won the last, I think, Safari Classic as well, right? Yes. I mean, I mean, Tuttles have been very successful in Africa. You know, they've, they've won the event on numerous occasions. But yeah, the last event with, with Chris Rosenberger, who's doing it again this year. So I think as far as Safari, we've, we're very lucky in the fact that we've got probably five or six cars that are, are probably top five contenders. And then on top of that, we've got straight down to guys that who've never done a rally in their life before. And Safari is the first event. So it's quite a quite a spectrum of driving talent. So Alex, to bring you in, how much classic rallying have you done? I mean, I guess San Remo's kind of one, but you guys kind of do a, a little bit different thing there, right? I have spent in the last few years more time in, in, in classic cars. An event that I've done uh, recently is the Alpine Rally in Australia in a Mark II Escort. Obviously, we have the 
thing, with, uh, which is now a classic, I guess, you know, with Jesper Cosworth uh, for a few years, Ken and I, uh, in the last few years, although the, the last one we raised was, um, was just Jesper uh, Cosworth on the outside, on the inside was very, very modern car. So there has been some classic parts, and it, it's something I, I aim to do more now at this point of my career, let's say reaching, you know, towards the end of my career, I guess. It's uh, something that I would like to spend more time in classic cars because, yeah, many uh, time passes and, and now the, the cars that are classic now are cars that were new cars when, uh, when I was uh, a teenager and getting into the sport. So it's pretty crazy how, how this works, you know. So I have that appreciation now for cars that were new back then, but they're classic now. So, yeah, it hasn't been a lot, but I'm looking forward. To, I guess, you know, Safari will be the the biggest classic event that, that, that I'll do. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that and maybe more in the future, yeah. So as a co-driver, what's different preparing for one of these classic rallies? I'm guessing there's no recce, so is it just a lot of reviewing maps and whatnot or what? Uh, no, actually, uh, the, the route is kept pretty secret. In uh, events like the Alpine or, or the Silver Fern in, in New Zealand or the Safari or the RAC, uh, you don't know the course in advance. And, and as far as the navigation goes, you will be using a route book, which is basically how, how rallies started, you know, decades ago. And, and even the RAC up until the early or late 80s or mid 80s, I should say, was still a, a secret route. The navigation will be strictly route books. Uh, I'm not too sure, you know, that they'll, they'll be just there as a reference, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll be using the route book. Is this still closed roads? No, in the case of the safari, the roads are open, actually. The majority of classics, uh, actually, the roads are closed, you know, just not like normal rallies, but the safari, because of the vastity of, of the event, I mean, you have stages that are 120, 150 kilometers long, it will be impossible to manage the closure of the road. And it brings back a little bit to what the heritage of this particular event is. I mean, the safari up until 20, 30 years ago was run on open roads. So this event will have uh, an extra challenge, which uh, is a little bit what we experienced at Baja 1000 last year, where basically Baja 1000, the route is open. You know, you'll be dealing with locals, you'll be dealing with vehicles that don't belong in the race, and there will be the same uh, the safari in two weeks from now. Uh, a bit of different thing, but something we, Ken and I, have experienced recently. Well, and I guess the locals there, I would guess, Andy, you probably even know this, they're kind of experienced with this, having the Safari Classic being around there for uh, several years. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I haven't done the, the Safari Classic, but I've done the Safari a couple of times when it was in the World Championship. So same back then, you know, it was it was open roads. Obviously, they know when the rally's coming through and after the first car or two, they tend to clear out the way because they know what's coming. One thing I wanted to talk about is the car. And why is it that uh, Tuttle chooses this 1984 as the basis for these cars that tend to run the Safari Classic? I think to start with, you know, the Porsche is just such a, a well-suited car to the to that type of event. Uh, rear-engined, very strong built car, air-cooled, so you don't need to worry about water blocking the radiators. Um, really good traction, obviously, with the, with the weight balance. And they've just refined that car over the years. Uh, it's been improved. Suspension is unbelievable on the cars. You know, it really is comparable to, to modern cars and the suspension. And being a Porsche specialist, you know, of course, that, that was, you know, the only kind of car to go for to fit into the historic category. They've really refined the car over the years to the point where it is now, 
you know, we've got 14, 14 cars on the on the rally, wow. 23 service vehicles, all with, with the same kit, all with the same parts. So, you know, there are, all the cars are basically identical uh, running gear. There may be some differences in body style or uh, vary, various things that customers might prefer, but, but suspension, brakes, engine transmission are all are all the same proven um, specification. And so these are stateside, we kind of call them resto mods, restoration modification stuff. So you have a, quite a few parts that are custom designed for combination of both strength and performance that you guys have come up with to, to make them as capable as they are. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I, I guess apart from this, obviously strengthening the, the shell, which goes for any car, but particularly on the Porsche, the, the suspension, the, the dampers, uh, you know, there's been a lot of work on those, a lot of work on, on the brakes that, the brake calipers are, are designed so they'll fit either corner so that, that minimises the amount of spares that we need to carry. The front struts will go on both sides. So, again, it minimises the spares, makes it uh, more manageable for us, you know, with the amount of cars that we have. And the engine performance, we obviously could get more power, but, you know, we go with a, a reliable, responsive and, and torquey engine, which is suited to those conditions. So, Alex, one thing I noticed is that, you know, Ken recently got to test the car. It, it got me to thinking, you know, one thing that co-drivers have to deal with on a regular basis uh, is is joining in and, and helping whenever there's a mechanical issue on stage. So if you're not going to be, you haven't even seen the car yet, is there anything you can do in advance to kind of, or, or what kind of stuff just before the rally starts you're trying to uh, learn before you go out in a car that you've never been in? We have a couple of days of testing scheduled prior to, to the event. So my plan is actually uh, being the more, you know, technically savvy of the two in the car. Uh, my <laughs> plan is to, to, to get very familiar with, with a vehicle and, and echoing what Andy was saying a minute ago, that the simplicity of, of those cars combined with the performance, of course, the simplicity is one of the things that makes them so attractive and so legendary and reliable. I mean, we're not dealing with radiators we're not dealing we know with coolant we know we know we're dealing with an air-cooled engine and a place in the rear so you know and you have a, a generally a package that is quite simple sort of like almost like military spec you know what i mean keep it simple and reliable so during those two days of testing my plan is to get familiar as much as possible with the vehicle and uh, for any necessary sort of like bush mechanics work that we need to do while we are on stages because it will be the case that you know we need to fix the car or try to drag the car somehow to the end of the stage to reach the the next service because another pretty cool feature of this event is like just like the old school events you know you have service in between the stages if you have a problem on the stage and you can somehow manage to finish the stage and bring the car in the hands of the mechanics again you know that they can be some roadside service that can keep you in the event Keeping that in mind, all that will be important knowing that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an endurance event. It's, a, it's an eight-day event and uh, something that anything can go, can go wrong, but it doesn't prevent you like modern sprint day events, sprint day rallies. doesn't prevent you from having still a very good result. You could lose a lot of time, but still have a good result after eight days of competition. Uh, and then there'll, there'll be a, a rest mm -hmm. day in the middle. After four days, there will be more opportunities for me to get familiar with what the wear and tear on the on the vehicle and the parts have been 
just to prepare even better for the following four days of competition. So it's a bit different from where we used to. Rallies nowadays have changed. You know, you finish a two days of competition and you're only done an hour, an hour, 15 minutes at a national event. This will mm-hmm. be several hours of competition. Keeping that in mind, you know, it's, it's good to be proactive and be familiar with the technical side of the car because it could make the difference between a good result um, being parked on the side of the stage. I'm guessing, Andy, on your guys' end, you guys have a, a hot list of the parts that are more likely to need to be replaced or, or you know, if something happens out on stage and a way to, that they can just quickly change those things out and keep some of those spares on board? Yes, I mean, we, you know, obviously the cars are, are built to, you know, to hopefully minimize that, but you, you're always going to have, have problems, as Alex says. But, you know, we run twin fuel pumps, we, we run... Twin, twin ignition systems if needed. The cars, they do carry spares and a toolkit in the car. <laughs> the main item on a Porsche is the fan belt. If that goes, then then it's a big problem. But, you know, there'll be planned changes on certain components throughout the rally, certainly on the rest day. But again, you know, a lot of the cars will roll on the whole event, same gearbox, same dampers. It's, it's a tough one because you would think that the top drivers are, are harder on the cars, but it's actually the other way around mm. because the, you know the faster drivers have got the experience to see when the ground's rough or if it's a blind crest and you're not on pace notes you, you've got to lift off whereas maybe some of the newer drivers they don't know how fast you can go over rough sections and and they tend to do a bit more damage so it's normally the guys lower down they're running order that take a bit more looking after and the the faster guys at the front, you know, they know they have to look after the car to get the result. And I guess the uh, the logistical part, you know, you were talking about, was it 21 support vehicles in addition to all the rally cars you're, you're bringing there? Yeah, 20 through 23. I'm guessing everything's already on a boat on its way there by now? Oh, it's, it's all there. We've got guys out there now. The, the way we do it is, we or this year, we've got 23 identical um, land cruisers. And we made some some cages back at uh, back at work, like a mesh cage that slides into the back of the truck, um, and all the parts are identically placed in each truck. Um, so that just slots in. So we've obviously had to build all those spares kits up, put them in wooden crates. They all went out in containers. Um, they actually left for November when the rally was originally meant to run. So they've been just in storage in Africa. So we've got guys out there now that are, that are fitting them to all the trucks. And the reason we need so many, normally the way the rally runs, it's kind of in loops. So, you know, one van can do the start and the finish of each stage, but it's a lot more linear this year, which means it's going to be difficult for one van or one service truck to do every service. So we're effectively taking one and a half per car so they can overlap to make the start and finish of each stage. That actually sounds like a fun engineering problem, I guess, to uh, come up with those kits and how to mount those. And uh, I bet the guys in the shop love coming up with ideas like that and, and solving those kind of problems. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said before that they've got Totils have got so much experience on the event. We have a forty-foot container that's converted into a workshop, which will go on a truck to all to the to every evening service. That's kind of the mothership that will restock the vans after the day. Got another tire truck. You know, we've got 400 tyres for all the cars. Um, we, we've got damper technicians just to rebuild dampers when necessary, e-box technician. So I think all in all, with with the drivers included, it's it's almost 100 people on the event. Wow. 
So Alex, on your end, you know, obviously preparing for this one, uh, a bit of a, a unique challenge. I'm sure you've heard from Ken after the uh, test drive. What's his impressions and what are you looking for as, as your biggest challenge in doing an event of this type? Yeah, I talked to Ken after the test in Saudi Arabia and he was really pleased with the car. Uh, the only thing he complained about it was the standard gearbox, but because he hasn't driven really standard gearboxes for the past pretty much 15, 16 years since we first started together. So, but otherwise, he was really impressed with the torque of the motor, you know, with the dampers, and he really enjoyed the balance. He liked the balance of the chassis. So I'm looking forward now to be in the car myself because, like I said, I spent fair amount of time in Mark II Escorts, which, uh, to be honest, not really my favorite car. It's something that everybody loves a nice Mark II Escort, but it's never been my, my favorite car. But uh, I'm curious to... <laughs> To sit and, and try the 911 now in testing and, and then, then doing the event. As far as preparation goes, like we said, you know, we're in contact, you know, with the clerk of the course and everything, but that, that information is not released about the stages because, you know, the rules don't allow it. So the best thing that we can do is uh, what I've done is speak and messaging with my teammates, both drivers and co-drivers. They'll be at the event with the coordinator for the team. And uh, I've watched actually a couple of there's some really good videos on YouTube, and one is a documentary about the Tuttle, you know, event in 2013. That is about an hour documentary, and and you know, you you make notes, you know, you watch these documentaries, and then you watch your official video from the event for the past couple editions, and make notes, and you listen to, you know, what goes wrong with teams, and you observe what's happening when they're traveling through the villages and everything. And, and just to go back to your original questions. One thing that, that is going to be new for us is the fact that we have never seen the route. Mm -hmm. Even events like Baja 1000, we go there and pre-run. Even if it's an endurance event, just like the ferry is, or, or like Dakar is, you know, but at the Baja 1000, we spend days of pre-running, which is basically a reconnaissance. Uh, events like the Alpine Rally, which is similar to this, but at a smaller scale, is the same as the safari you don't get to see the route, but the roads are closed at the Alpine. You'll get to a junction that could be confusing in the route book. You'll be seeing banner tape. Okay. That is a halt that directs you to the right way of the junction. At the safari, you don't have that. You know, you may go through a village and, and you may call what you may interpret with the tulip that the route book says, but you're hoping that for the most you interpret it right, but you may get it wrong and you make that wrong turn. Right. And then the next instructions in two three kilometers so then it takes you two three kilometers to realize you're off the route then you have to go back so to me that's the biggest concern but i'm also banking on the fact that I, we will not be first on the road at the beginning so i'm hopefully be dealing with some marks on the roads I, I noticed from some of the videos that the locals tend to you know being in a way in the junction of the correct flow through the junction or through the villages although you can never trust that of course I, I think that will be the, the biggest challenge. I've been told that the clerk of the course in the last couple of editions has done a good job with the route book, better perhaps than it was in the, in the previous editions. I'm confident that the information provided by the organizers will be accurate. So how far in advance do you get the route book? Is it kind of like Dakar, where it's literally like a half hour before the you start the stage? Here's the route book for that section? You will get it the night before. The night before, okay. Yeah, for the first leg, we'll be getting it at the driver's meeting, which I believe is at 4 o'clock the day before, or 4.30. And then the following day, we'll start around 7 in the morning. Then uh, for the following leg, you'll be getting uh, pretty much at 8 p.m. the night before. So you do have few hours to pretty much highlight, you know, the route book and uh, 
eventually get the corrections because there is an advance card that goes by a day before. So there'll be some, some advance information that is passed on to the competitors to update the, the route book, whatever the information is. So you do have some time, more than you would have, uh, like you said a minute ago, more than the car, yeah. So Andy, logistically, how does that work for you and the support vehicles? Because obviously the competitors don't know the route, but you guys kind of have to be kind of forward advance of them, right? Yeah, so so we'll get the, the start and finish points of the stages. You know, we, we've got the basic route. We get the start and finish points that where we're allowed to service. It's just the sections in between that we won't get, which you know obviously is the same for Alex. He just gets that, as he says, the night before. We can pretty much plan a lot of it, but there will be a lot of coordinating on the fly. I guess is the best way to describe it. With so many cars and running at at, at different paces from the front runners to to like I said, the guys that, that are just doing their first event. The time gaps are going to be huge, so we'll have a real spread on the cars. So we'll have to make calls daily on if vans have to wait behind to see a car through. We'll leave one van at the start to make sure all the cars are started and left back for me in the morning. And then, you know, obviously they've got to catch up. So, yeah, it's probably one of the most challenging events for, for a coordinator that we can take on. And we're lucky, I guess, Craig Thorley, who... Co-drove for, for Ryan on the RAC rally. He's he's competed in Africa a lot and he's coordinating on the event. So so that's that's a big help for us. Got, got to get a mention of Craig in here, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Talking about the event itself, how many total stage miles? Of, do, do we know approximately how many, since you don't know the exact route, I guess, but I'm guessing you have a general idea of how many competitive stage miles there are and how many total miles in the route so far in, in general, right? Yeah, you're looking at, 4,200 kilometers of total and about 2,200 kilometers of stages. So the way the rally is structured is actually quite interesting and because you have three long stages every day. So you start in the morning, then you finish in the late afternoon. And, and the three stages every day, they, they vary from, you know, 30 or 20 Ks up to, you know, 130, 150 Ks. And so are the road sections. They're similar distances. So it is structured like a normal rally, but like Andy mentioned a minute ago, is is more like a, a tour. If there is no repeated, I mean, there is some stages. I expect some stages that will be maybe repeated in the opposite directions on different days. Historically, that's what has happened. But that, that's how it is, pretty much. It, it is, uh, and these are the numbers as far as the kilometers go. I think the other thing as well is the road sections. Obviously, the the service time comes out of the road section, so it's. You know, even though obviously in the stages you're going as fast as you can without without breaking the car, but on the road sections as well, they're going to have to maintain a, a decent speed to allow themselves service time because that, that just comes out of your road section. That's a very good point. Are there any of these scheduled to be night stages? No. No, they don't just on safety grounds because the roads are are open. Are open. It is possible again for the later runners. It may be getting to dusk by the time they get finished. But no, usually there should be no reason for the cars to be running at night. Let's talk about the entry list a little bit, anyways. Uh, Tuttle's got quite the number of how many cars is it again? You guys are bringing alone fourteen. Fourteen cars. Fourteen entries. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, Alex and Ken are in there. Another competitor we'd know from out here, Patrick Sandell, is on your list. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick's uh, joining us. He he works with with us a lot with the ice driving school in Sweden that's actually running at the moment. We've got eight cars out in Sweden for for three months 
almost three months doing uh, uh, the below zero ice driving. So, so Patrick works with us a lot with that. And then we've also got another American, Mitch McCulloch, uh, customer um, from Texas is driving. So we've got, we've got quite a good uh, American representation. Yeah, I just noticed that. I was looking at the uh, entry list last night, and I'm like, wow, who is this Mitch and Kim McCullough? This is awesome. So yeah. uh, we haven't met them before, but uh, that's exciting to see yet uh, other Americans finding interest in this and uh, coming across. Uh, is there anybody that uh, you've met, Alex, before um, in competing in something like this? Or Some of the um, competitors on the entry list were to be announced. There are a couple of names that are familiar, and I haven't checked in, in a few days, but I'm sure once closer to the event, I'll see someone that has done the event and might be doing it again this year. I'm not entirely sure it's Stefan Prevost, which for us mm. drivers is one that we look up to. Uh, so I don't know if Stefan is competing this year, but again, it's someone that has provided me some feedback over the past month. Uh, Fabrizia Pons has, has done it a few times you know, as well, and I spoke to Fabrizia as well. Uh, I don't know if she's competing this year. It's great to see that there are some competitors that man, we've competed with them in other parts of the world, and then we end up finding them again and meeting them in Kenya of all places. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, Stefan's with one of our customers, actually, so, so he'll be there. Great. Is there a, a big advantage for local knowledge? Because obviously there's plenty of South Africans and as well as local uh, Kenyans and whatnot that uh, compete in this event as well. Is, is there a big advantage to those folks or because of the randomness of it, you know, they don't know the route until the night before, it's kind of anybody's game? I think for sure, you know, experience on the terrain, they won't necessarily know the, the stages, but it's similar to, you know, Alex and Ken going to do Ojibwe or, or or Washington, you know, they, they kind of get an idea of the, what the stages are like. This year, the route is is quite different because it travels up north to um, to around Nairobi and Naivasha, which when we were doing the World Championship, there was some really challenging stages in that area. Further down in the south, towards Mombasa, where the, where the finish is, the, the stages are a lot a lot smoother. But I think this year is going to be, be very challenging with the stages in the north. The first three or four days, I think, uh, are going to be interesting. But what city does it start from and where do you finish? So we start just outside Nairobi in a place called Naivasha. And then we basically, after after a loop, head head south and finish down in Mombasa near the coast. Wow, full on tour of the country, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a, you know, it's a big, it's a very challenging event. I, I think for anyone rallying at the moment, you know, this is, on a par with with Dakar, but just because of the speed, I think it's a, you know it's a real challenge. I think it's I think a lot of people are obviously drawn back to go and, and compete again, um, and hopefully Ken and Alex re- really enjoy it as well. I think that I think you know they're going to get a real a real good rally for them for them coming up. So, Alex, do you know the uh, best way that uh, folks here at home can follow you and Ken on this uh, event? Yeah, there'll be a tracking device that teams and obviously spectators fans can follow. There'll be daily results. You know, we, we plan to uh, have a fairly extensive number of updates uh, as much as we can. You know, we have a, a dedicated group of uh, individuals that are going to the event to cover the social media aspects of our rally and uh, as well as you know daily updates you know vlogs and, and videos and things like that so we plan to do those 
uh, every day. Uh, obviously, it depends of uh, the areas where we are and you know, you know how late you finish and you know and if you've had a good day or not. But uh, other than that, the normal ways you can follow events, let's see here in North America, you know, through social media tracker and everything. You know, not not quite to the level that we have in W in WRC. You know, we know we like stages and things like that, but due to the remote nature of, of the country you know, uh, that we're racing with, it, that wouldn't quite be possible. But also the length of the stages. I mean, I'm looking at, uh, at the itinerary right now, and the stages are all in the 60 to 100 Ks in distance. You know, There is actually a, a short one on, on the last day, a 20-kilometer stage, and then uh, everything else is quite long. So it will be a challenge to be able to, you know, to cover anything like that, that length you know, in, in any different way that than what I just mentioned. We will do our best to update our fans all around the world as much as we can. That's awesome. I'm guessing uh, Tudil probably has uh, their Facebook page. You guys will have some updates of what's going on with everybody else as well. Yeah, we've got, yeah Facebook and, and our Instagram, and then we we've also got a film crew going out for the event. Ah, oh, brilliant! To do another documentary similar to the one Alex mentioned that they did a few years ago. So for sure, we'll, we'll be posting updates all the time. You'll probably see Richard popping up on various platforms doing his updates. Just in general, this historic rallying has seems like it's really caught on. I mean, it's it's been around a while, but it seems like I see younger. Well, maybe it's because I'm getting older. I don't know, but it seems like I, I'm seeing more competitors getting involved in classic rallying in more recent years, anyways, that, than ever has before. And um, obviously, Tudo Porsche is a reason for that. You guys make it a, a an easier way for people to get involved. But it just makes me wonder: is like, where's the next place that we're going to see historic? rallying pop up is the states maybe even a place that sometime we could have something like that you know and bring back this classic type yeah i mean i i i think you know in a lot of places around the world obviously the the cost of modern rally cars is is getting out of the reach of of, of more and more people so they're looking for they still want to compete and they're looking for ways to do that for sure in the uk and europe historic rallying the entries, are, to be honest, are bigger than modern rallying. You know, when you look at the the RAC rallies, entries sold out in in literally fifteen minutes. Jeez. You know, people were were queuing up for for entries, and also when you look at the drivers, you know, some of the drivers that are competing in R five cars, you know, were going to do the RAC in escorts and you know various other other historic cars. It's definitely taken a swing that way. That was one of the reasons. I kind of pushed to do the RAC rally. I guess historically, Tuttle's have based most of their, their year around the Safari rally. It's such a big event. Uh, obviously, it's every two years. So that gives us a chance to do something else in between. I just thought, you know, if we could go out on the RAC and get a result, then it, it, it might attract more people to the Porsche. And, you know, the way it worked out was, was obviously fantastic for us. But we've definitely seen a lot of interest from all around the world from people inquiring since since that result so yeah hopefully it'll uh, it'll kick on from there win on sunday sell on monday right yeah i guess <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day for us it's a business and you know we're looking to to keep expanding and growing and we're also very much into providing customers with a great experience obviously a lot of the customers that go to safari it's a bucket list uh, event it's a fantastic opportunity to you know, see Africa and compete. Um, but we also are moving into doing other events, possibly in Spain, 
a tarmac event just for our customers, um, maybe towards the end of this year. Richard and myself were out in Saudi when Ken was driving and, you know, we were having a look over there. We've, we've already got a customer with a car out there. You know, maybe we could take some cars to, to Saudi. There's a lot of interest there. So, you know, we're, we're very much aware of the fact that people want to get a great experience, you know, maybe not necessarily compete, but just they want to drive a rally car. We already do the 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 ice driving in sweden which is pretty much sold out you know for two months it's it's, wow. it's booked up weeks before so um yeah it's 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 great thing but obviously you know you need the results to build on that and just keep your name out there well alex um for you you know obviously the this growth of the uh historic rallying is an interest for you as well yeah yeah for sure and, and um it's something that to echoing what andy was saying a minute ago to me it's a natural interest because when when you go to Europe to a modern rally right now and you see the entries, the cars are all the same, you know, and maybe I'm I'm turning a bit nostalgic with the, with my rallying, you know, but you know, you have two, three models of our five times twenty five or thirty. Yes, you know, they look good on stage, they're fast and all that, but as a spectator, I guess uh, it becomes a bit boring, you know, even in the WRC, yes, the speeds are high. But when you look at the entry for Sweden, for example, and uh, the, the R5 category, there's uh, 30 cars. And to me, they all look the same. So I can see why there is this interest from the spectators, from the fans, that is uh, creating a bit of a boom for historic rallying. You know? And uh, RAC was sold out. Safari is an event that requires much bigger involvement, investment, you know, and time compared to the RAC. But still, when you look at the entry list, you see cars that, you don't normally see a rallying. So they generate curiosity from the fans, the spectators. Then when you when you look at a, a social media account like Puddle, for example, you know, they, they, they're doing a really good, strong job with their social media. So they're, they're gaining the followers. You know, recently there was a, a, a repost from Porsche account itself about one of the title posts. Even the corporate company like Porsche, which has got a close relationship with Paddle, it's it's taking notice. You know, while they usually the big corporate names, they focus on their production vehicles, what the ones that you go to the dealership and buy. But to to give that sort of presence and give that sort of attention to the heritage of our sport, you know, it's. It, I think it's, it's pretty cool. I got a question for you, Andy, a friend of ours uh, of the show who's an expat here in the States and a Goodwood member. I was wondering if any of the uh, Tuttle Porsches are going over to the uh, Goodwood members meeting. Yeah, yeah, we'll be racing with, I think, three of our cars there. We, we've been there. Uh, last year we were there racing at members and, and Revival, both events. So, like I said, with the with the race cars we run, which are two-litre uh, 1965 cars, Again, that's a very popular race series. We're doing a, a European race series this year. We're heading off to Estoril in Portugal the week after Safari for a, a big test. And then Mugello is the first race. So, um, yeah, we've got a lot of interest in that. We've just built two new cars, taken on some new customers. We're lucky enough to win the Spa six-hour race um, last year, which created a bit more interest again, like you said, winning obviously brings the customers in so that so that was a great result for us so we're looking to a, a real busy year with that as well but yeah goodwoods is very popular but difficult to get an entry actually i did have one other question i guess about the cars is the fact that alex was saying about how there's you know so many different kinds of cars competing and it makes me wonder also how do we get parity when the cars are so different i, I know you guys compete against a lot of 240z's and things like that out there so what do they do to try and keep the cars somewhat on par with each other you know obviously there's different classes you know, if we were to run on the on the 
RAC rally, for example, obviously the Porsche is a three litre, the Escorts are two litres, so they run they run classes even though you're competing together for the overall. And the balance of the cars, the parity that as you said, is is pretty close, I guess, because they're competing against cars similar to what they competed against back in the day. So okay. you know that that the actual balance of performance is very similar. It's just you, you know from a long time ago, but but yeah, the you know the class structure I guess is more prominent in historic rallying because you could have somebody in a one point three you know competing for their class up against a three liter Porsche. So they do tend to to work on that structure more. Well, now for uh, one of the most important questions, and this goes to both of you: What is your favorite Porsche? What year? Well, I'd have to say one of one of the the teams I went on went on to after. Austin Rover was was Pro Drive, and I was lucky to be there when they ran the the SCRS rally car. So that was Henry Toyden was driving, and we do the Middle East Championship as well. So that was eighty five, and yeah, that that's a pretty cool car. Yeah, that's a pretty rare one for sure. Alex, do you have a favorite year of Porsche? Yeah, I, I guess the the air cooled late seventies and mid eighties as well, which is pretty cool. That at the end of the day one of the cars will, will get to race as well. It's actually, yeah, yeah those, are, those are my favorite Porsches. And when, when, you, when you look at them, actually, they're actually more like a driver's car because they're actually smaller when you compare the, the newer 911s to the older ones. I mean, the size difference is a little bit like a, an older Mini and a newer Mini Cooper. You know, it's just, yeah. uh, they used to be more driver's cars back then. Nowadays, they're more like, I don't know who they are, you know, but those are the earlier ones that are, are my favorite ones. And also, what, what I like of those cars is the simplicity of it. You know, it's something that, like, you know, my motorcycle is an air-cooled motorcycle. You know what I mean? The Porsche, you know, it's, it's, it's great because it's so simple. You know, that's, that's what I love about it. Not only the, the simplicity, but the efficiency of the package. Moving on with some more of our kind of fun and game stuff, kind of fun to get some insight on you guys by getting these these answers. So for each of you, give me your favorite book or author, favorite music, artist, or genre for when you're, uh, I guess, waiting for service or something like that, or on a flight down to one of those these flyaway events, and favorite movie. Andy, I'll start with you. <laughs> oh, th- thanks. <laughs> <laughs> movie, I would say from my time in America, I've got to say Days of Thunder. There we go. Yeah, got to keep you guys happy there. Uh, music, that's a tough one. A lot of the groups I'd mentioned, you probably wouldn't know over there anyway. Yeah, I had Kid Rock on on the on the way home in the in the car tonight, so that's kind of a part of the mixture that I listen to, I guess. And then books, more into autobiographies, to be honest. Yeah. So yeah, we just uh, just kind of stick to those, but 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 read a few good good ones lately. Alex, what about you? We haven't uh, gotten these questions out of you before. No, no, they're not easy questions. They sound beautiful, <laughs> but they are. For books, I, I can't read a normal book. I just will fall asleep after a few minutes. So lately, I've been enjoying a series of books from uh, from McLean, which are specifically like the Group Two, Group Four, Group B, Group A era. <laughs> they cost me a small fortune, but I got them all, and I enjoying. Uh, I guess going through the pictures and the staff. And discovering, you know, the early uh, years of rallying and up to the 80s and 90s. Uh, as far as music, man, I, I really listen to every, everything but country music. I mean, if you look at my uh, my um, you know list of, of music in my phone, anything you know from uh, from rock, you know, lately I've been listening to a lot of uh, ACDC and you know 
you know, and trance music, you know, the, all sort of things. Uh, so I can't really point the finger at a preferred type of music. And uh, movies, I myself lately watching a lot of Western stuff. I don't know why, but uh, I, I watched one a year or so ago and then uh, I watched the following one. Just, you know, older stuff like, you know, Clint Eastwood and John Wayne, you know. So that, that has been something that uh, has been fun to, to, to watch as well. Which is kind of ironically funny that, you know, we used to call those older ones, you know, the spaghetti westerns, right? Because <laughs> of the uh, Italian director that was behind a bunch of those. That is correct. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, the anything but country is actually a common response already. I fit into that category as well. Gentlemen, excited for the Safari Classic. You've got a lot of uh, work on your hands. This is one of those epic events that we're excited to have someone we're familiar with uh, competing in it. We'll be following along. And, and thanks for taking the time to chat with us. It's it's going to be an exciting one. Yeah, th- thanks very much for asking me on. Uh, looking forward to, to the rally and looking forward to catching up with Alex again. been a long time, so... Yeah, that's right. You guys knew each other from before, right? Yeah, it's actually a pretty cool story because I, I met Andy 20 years ago. He was he actually is the guy that gave me my first professional ride 20 years ago. So we go back a long ways and then, uh, you know, obviously moved out of the U.S. for uh, work outside there. And then uh, we met again, I think, uh, briefly at an airport in Australia, but it was several years ago. So I'm looking forward to catch up with him. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a privilege to to work with him again. Like I said, he's the one that launched my professional career. So I'm looking forward to see him, to work with him, and hopefully we get to have a, a good rally together. Well, now we need to hear a little bit about that story. Uh, Andy, uh, maybe you could tell us about what, what you saw in Alex and, and how that start happened. Yeah, well, I, I moved out to America and, and we started running a couple of cars in the, in the American Championship. We actually... Um, ran David Higgins when he won his first championship in 2002 um, and I had a customer that was you know looking to to take things more seriously and looking for a co-driver and I'd kind of bumped into Alex on a few of the local Californian events um, and obviously knew he was very keen and people spoke highly of him so you know got him in to to sit with this guy who, who was really keen competitor I guess that got Alex into the championship and we tried to get him in with David whenever we could when we were testing. Maybe David's co-drag wasn't there or whatever. And and then after that, Alex went in with Tim O'Neill. Um, we got the Air Force Reserve deal. So so that was really cool to to do that. Um, and then obviously Alex has just gone on from there to, to build a fantastic career for himself. The discussions bring back memory because... Andy and I did a rally together. I was a brilliant <laughs> driver. So yeah, I just popped out of my mind and we were... We were leading that. It was a blind event. I remember, Andy. There were there were yeah, no yeah. cases, no no wrecky and everything. And uh, we were driving this this older Impreza, which I believe has won some national events or something. But anyway, we were having a brilliant event uh, at Prescott until until the suspension broke. We were leading the rally. It was a fun weekend together, and uh, it brings back the memory. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, that was yeah, that was two thousand and two because that was the end of it was the end of the oh, yeah. uh, when when David won the championship. Yeah, we actually sold his championship winning car and took that that That's car right. in, in part exchange. So I took it out just as a, a bit of a treat for for finishing the year off. Uh, and that was the Prescott Rally. That's that's a rally I'd like to see come back and be expanded. I've heard great things about the routes out there. Oh, the stages, stages were brilliant. Yeah, really good rally. Yeah. Really good. 
Again, great to see you guys then get back together. That's awesome that you even competed together. <laughs> uh, fun <laughs> yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was good. It was, that, that was that was really cool to, to do that with Alex. It always makes it easier when you've got a good a good co-driver. You don't need to worry about that side of things. <laughs> so Alex, you were mentioned a little bit ago about a documentary that you said you watched, and you were saying that there's going to be a film crew out there for this event. If we want to go back and watch that uh, other documentary, uh, tell us where we can go see that. Yeah, uh, obviously uh, on YouTube, but I think it's on the Tidal account, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's called Tidal Porsche on the East African Safari Classic Rally full movie. So it's a 47-minute documentary on the Tidal Porsche account on YouTube. It was published published years ago, but it shows that it's a 50-minute version of the documentary covering the 2013 East African Safari Rally. So it's a very good store for uh, fans and uh, to get familiar with this classic event and, and discover the behind the scenes. And, and what I like about the documentary is quite comprehensive. It starts from uh, uh, an interview uh, with um, with Richard uh, in the factory, you know, well, the, you know, they're prepping to, you know, load the containers, you know, and, and send them over to uh, to Kenya, to all the way covering the event on a day by day. So it's, it's quite good. And also the organizer of the event or some uh, other media sources have done some uh, some other videos uh, covering uh, I think the 2015 event as well which uh, was won uh, by Tuttle so um, yeah those are good sources on YouTube to learn about the event and discover this you know unique uh, rally I'll be sure to add a link to that when I go to post this as well as links to obviously We'll, we'll tag you so that way uh, people can follow you and yeah. um, and, and what's going on with, with your guys' experience out there so they can follow that. And, of course, back to Tuttle Porsche as well. Again, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, the Eastern Safari Rally Classic. Good luck. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. You know what I hate? Big, bulky, underperforming batteries. Lighten your load with Performance Battery from Melee Design Firm. They have time-tested solutions for your race car, rally car, or even your daily commuter. Make sure you check us out at MeleeDesignFirm.com, a proud sponsor of the Open Paddock Rallycast since 2020. Well, I must say, it's not often that I get the opportunity to chat with a team principal of all people, although some of you privateer drivers are kind of also your own team principals. So uh, I guess in that way, I do get to talk to team principals. If you're not familiar with uh, Toto Porsche, I hope you soon will be. Just go look at their workshop and showroom on their website, and it'll make any car fan green with envy. The stuff that they've got there is just phenomenal. It's everything from custom builds that they do for customers to, of course, these competition cars that are like the air-cooled Porsches. Uh, They've got some historic class cars that they build uh, for a racing series and things like that. So go check them out. And again, make sure you follow them uh, for the rally. You know, I'm a huge fan of the increase of interest and popularity in these classic rallies like you have with the... uh, East African Safari Classic, and then the Roger Albert Clark rally that was last November. You see and hear such a variety of truly historic cars. Granted, I love the performance we have with the top-level cars right now. You know, they're interesting in their own way, just from a performance standpoint. But the variety that you get in the historic racing is just something special. You know, you'll hear, hear and see things like old two-stroke sobs competing. Then you get all the way up to the high performance, you know, resto mods like the current Mark II Escorts that are only 
marked to escort by shell in some cases. Uh, then you got the Tuttle Porsches out there and, you know, just all kinds of neat stuff that, that are all look, sound, and behave differently. And I think it's really fun to watch. The competition is great as well. If you saw the RAC, you'll remember how it came down to the dramatic finish on the final day. The East African Safari Classic should be no different, although their challenges won't be ice and snow. It'll be long stages, rough terrain, and potential sudden downpours, which can create these mud sippy holes that uh, they gotta watch out for. I'm, I'm expecting it to be just as close, maybe at the end there, uh, as we ended up having with the RAC, and I think it should be a fun one to follow. And it really harkens back to what Safari was back in the 80s when there wasn't really an easy way to follow it. So really looking forward to uh, seeing the stuff being uh, going on there and, and what Alex and, and Ken can bring to the table. But there's also several other Americans, by the way, to cheer on. In addition to Ken and Alex, David uh, Dangelard of K1 Speed. He's one of the founders of K1 Speed's uh, indoor go-karting. If you've ever seen those facilities, we've got one out here in Hillsboro. They're in Indianapolis. They're all over the place. They've got quite the franchise thing going on there. So that, that's who's out there. Um, then Mitch and Kim McCullough, I don't know who they are, but excited to see you know what these other Americans can do in the Safari Classic. There's a total of 48 entries, and a good portion of them, of course, are from Tuthill, but there's Dotson 240Zs, there are Ford Escorts out there, Triumph TR7s, Peugeots, and more. So plenty to keep your interest if you like a bunch of classic cars. And again, that's from February 10th to the 18th with a single rest day in between. We'll be posting links on how best to follow all that's going on. Thank you to our supporters, Oz Rally Pro and Melee Design Firm, and a shout out to our audio editor, Derek Johnson Love, for all the work he puts in to make us sound good. And one last note, I've heard several of you that have asked about ways you can help support me and Derek and the Open Paddock Rallycast. I've pondered different ways on how we could accomplish this, looking at Patreon and other stuff. But in the short term, I've added a donate link to our website, openpaddock.net. So if you want to go there and send us a few bucks, you know, it's always helpful. Uh, hosting costs are always going up. Just found out that my free Google account that we used to use for um, all the email and stuff for the domain is now going to start charging. You know, every little bit helps, and uh, we appreciate all of your support out there. And uh, maybe if I uh, build up some resources, I can go out to some events and do some good old-fashioned stage-end reporting and uh, maybe do some interviews in person. I uh, haven't done that in a while other than what's local to me, so I would definitely love to do that as well. So, anyways, I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. going up.